Alright, welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. I'm very excited about my guest this week. Lamont Orange is the Chief Information Security Officer at Netscope. And Lamont, welcome to the show. Let's start right there. What does the CISO at Netscope do? What are your main primary responsibilities? Sure. Thanks for having me, Ryan. And for what that means to everyone is that I own the security programs for our company as well as into our products. So uh, I get to interface with customers. I get to interface with my internal customers and my development teams, operations teams, and also get to uh, develop really uh, interesting use cases or satisfy really interesting use cases with my partners. You are a senior a serial CISO who has put in 20 plus years in this industry, uh, coming from where computing looked like 20, 15, 10 years ago to what it looks like today with digital transformation and post-COVID, you know, uh, rush to the cloud. How do you, when you look at back at your career, right, are we, are we in two different universes or has it been like a smooth, natural uh, evolution of your of the CISO career over the years from when the perimeter was different and uh, where we are today. Can you kind of look back at computing and the f- path over the years and, you know, juxtapose it from where we are uh, uh, in terms of the security industry? Ab- absolutely. Uh, you know, I'd have to take a phrase out of something that's new today when we talk about the multiverses and the metaverses. I think we are in, in two different universes as to where security came from and where we are today. I mean, we, we came from a, a path of really just trying to understand and chase viruses and protect viruses off of our, our PCs all the way now through where security is intermixed and, and uh, with, with just about everything we do uh, from a way of life, from how we use technology and how it pervades through our business. Even from the person that walks through the door now, security is is something that if it's not top of mind, it should be top of mind because you have devices and you have different access tied to those particular devices, as well as your other computing systems. So I, I think that the evolution has also required us to change our roles. We were very highly technical in the early days where I think we have to speak two different languages. We have to speak the languages of the technologists, which is still the technical attributes, but we also have to speak the language of the business and, right. and wrap that, that business drivers around the technology so that you know we can achieve outcomes. And most importantly, we don't want to cause our, the friction to stop the business. We can't say no anymore. Right. And that's a big change. That's a big change from where we are to where we were. In the past, the security team were always the guys who were no, you can't do because of risk. Now, because security is a business enabler, there is no such phrase, no, you can't do. You have to enable the business to run. And then security itself is now a, 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 a trophy to hold up. If we get security right, our business is in good hands. That has been a dramatic change in mindset for you as the CISO over the years, right? Yeah, I, I think it's been, it, and uh, you, you call it a trophy, I call it a differentiator. Um, mm-hmm. Security has moved from a cost center to something that helps either acquire business or something that helps protect business, which is very different for us. And uh, our, and and the skill set for the role has has changed to to align with that. So we have to develop but, ourselves, right? But when you say the CISO, the CISO role is less technical. 
Does that mean a non-technical person can be a successful CISO or do you need that perfect mix? Because this is a conversation that's happening around the skills shortage and availability of future leaders and so on. And I want to get into that with you because I think you have a, a, a different mind, a different approach to the skills shortage thing. But just to go back, do you feel like a non-technical executive or a non-technical leader can make a good CISO or do they need a... Uh, 50% of the technical underpinnings of, of preparation. So I'll say a non-technical person can enter into the realm of CISO. And, and the reason why is because they can learn some of the foundational components of security. Um, but in, in that role, they will have, you know, somewhat of the, you have to do dual process and you got to learn security, learn where and how a security can become a business risk and then translate that. You still have to to be able to talk to those engineering and operations teams and and understand where they're coming from. But from the aspect of of turning the knobs and and making the controls happen and and, uh, actually designing architectures and configuring systems, the CISO doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, but we we still have to have a fundamental understanding because without understanding those underpinnings, you're just layering on different technologies that may cause a whole bunch of friction in your organization. Right. We talked about how different the enterprise network looked even 10 years ago, 15 years ago to what it looks like today. And a lot of that is is has been driven there's been a lot of energy around like the the new the new design of the network. I want to kind of pivot quickly to uh, the .gov interest in cybersecurity post solar winds and post colonial pipeline. We've seen the executive order uh, driving conversations around multi-factor authentication and zero trust mandates for the government. And, you know, there's a general feeling that that stuff will trickle down to the rest of the industry. Can you talk a little bit again about, you know, your visibility into what networks look like and is it easier for you today to manage what the networks have evolved to become in this whole zero trust world of, uh, 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 you know, the disappearing perimeter? Is it an easier job today than it was, say, even 10 years ago? Uh, I'll start with the first part of the question. You know, when we, when we look around, you know, what has changed for us? And let's start with some of the, the post-solar winds and, and the executive order. I think that the the conversation that it sparked and that it continues to drive is the right conversation. Uh, we we've had many uh, focuses on cybersecurity from you know federal, state, local, public, private company, but I think this is the opportunity for us to really get to a point of collaboration, get to a point of focus and vision, where we're we're actually saying zero trust. We're defining more. How do you get to zero trust? because we have more complex networks. There was a time we were just in a data center, maybe a, a, a group of data centers, and we they were very purpose-built. And, and for what they were serving up with these applications, you know, we just needed to make sure we had capacity as, as CIOs and, and uh, making sure you had availability and security was just, let's, let's make sure that the endpoint and the servers have something on them that will you know, protect you against threats. And I know there's more components to that, but very simply put, we we had four walls around a lot of our, our systems and we were in perceived control of a lot of those systems and applications. Today, the complexity is we are in hybrid. 
that's one variation of the complexity where we still have data centers that is housing data and we're using the compute power of the cloud at the same time. So you have to secure those transactions and presentations and you have to secure them anywhere. The right. other, the other, I'd say, uh, permutation of that is that we're in multiple clouds. Not only are we in AWS, we're in Azure, we're in GCP, and they're doing very different functions. They're cross-communicating with one another, all to serve up a product for a company. And they're doing it across the globe, you know, and we're doing it across a workforce that's working anywhere. And we have partners that are also anywhere. So we, I think the, 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 if you call it the blast radius of what we have to secure now, the, the attack surface is huge. Right. The, is it even securable, right? Because it, it, yeah, I don't want to get into my whole pessimistic approach to where we are, but it feels like we have, we are, we are creating attack surfaces faster than we can create processes and have people in place to defend them. Is that fair? Is that a fair, uh, 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 synopsis of where we are in the midst of a ransomware crisis and all the other epidemics facing security is that, uh, like the point you're making, attack surfaces have exploded and complexity has exploded faster than we can properly secure it? I think that's the premise of, of why we're talking about a lot of these zero trust technologies and secure services edge and, 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 you know, and sassy technologies is because we have increased that, that attack surface it's exploded. We need security tools to scale. Uh, we can't scale it with humans. We 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 thought we could do that. We can't scale it by buying uh, every system that solves you know a certain amount of percentage, but not a a hundred percent of what the edge cases and use cases are. And we can't layer on all of these controls to the end users that have to access these systems because we create gaps by doing that as well. So it's it's as the attack surface is exploding, we also have to think differently of how to reduce that attack surface. Is Does that come down to spend and resources? I mean, is it is good security affordable? Let me put the question bluntly that way. It feels, um, I was just looking at some ransomware stats from the Q4 last year, and there's a, there's a general trend where the big ransomware affiliate gangs are starting to focus more on the mid-market, uh, uh, where security is less likely to be as buttoned up as your company or some of the bigger companies where, you know, there's a, a proper level of investment in it. Uh, the question is, are we resigned to the fact that we're just constantly, uh, uh, you know, chasing our tails or are we ever, ever, do you think zero trust MFA and some of the energy coming out of what the mandates in the government will, will, will put a dent in this or are we just here to stay? I think we can get out of this. Uh, we, we absolutely, there is a path of where you can have good security. You can have good security in the cloud. You can have good security in hybrid installations and you can get more proactive with some of the ransomware. Even amidst some of this chaos and complexity. Uh, even with the chaos and complexity. I, I mean, sometimes it's best thought to, to, you know, take the deep breath and think about how you can do things differently, which also means you may have to carve some of this out and, and look at, well, I can't operate a security you know, platform. If I'm all in the cloud, I can't operate a security platform on premise. That's just going to cause other problems, right? Why not move it closer to where you're operating? If you're in a hybrid in, in, in situation, well, you have to look at how you can have, you know, use, best use your resources to manage 
one policy, one set of policies that covers both type of working environments. So some of this is 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 management 101, I think. Let's let's think about how we work smarter. And the other piece is, you know, we can't do what we've done all these years of of trying to operate our niche products and everything because that also puts us back into the resource crunch. Every tool comes with a cost and comes with a resource challenge. But right. good news, there is good news on this, is that we know for a fact that we can achieve good security in these in these uh, complex infrastructures. We all just need to come together and start really having more conversation and more action of the how do we get this great security with these let me, put you in the spot. let me put you in the spot and ask you for a definition of what you feel good security is. Because security as a whole is uh, is risk management, is reducing exposure to risk for your most sensitive things, depending on what definition you 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 you, you want to use. How do you determine good security? How do you what you know, we always ask what keeps you up at night. That's not what I'm gonna ask. It's like what wakes you up in the morning energized that you're in a good place? Knowing that there's there, knowing that the solutions do exist. I mean, we we have I've seen this industry move from really talking about features and what products do and all of this stuff. Really going back to what capabilities does it give my team? How fast does it allow me to scale? Can I move at the speed of the business? I mean, we're really changing uh, a lot of the conversations. So that gives me the optimism that that yes, we can do it because not only do we have the, the the solutions available to us, but we have the mindset. We're having the right conversations. What also gives me that energy to know that we can get good security is we all seem to be moving with the same messages on one accord now. Uh, again, this- Private sector, public sector, that kind of thing. It, 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 it just, I, I agree with you there. It feels like there's a general energy that folks are moving in the right direction. Yeah, there's a get- center of gravity. Uh, and- with it being pushed by government, not to say government can solve all of our problems, but when we have the government momentum behind us, we seem to be able to make change faster too. Right. You talked about tools and the tools in place, products in place. One of the the side effects of the so-called skills shortage is the inability to retain seniors who have already built and kind of fine-tuned a lot of the tools. That job becomes incredibly boring and then retention becomes hard. And then the problem is ramping up people to use the tools that you already have. I want to get into it with you because you don't even believe we have a cybersecurity skills shortage, correct? I don't think we have a I don't think we have a resource challenge. I think we we have the resources. I think the resources need to be reskilled in some cases. What and do you I think mean? We can you expand to, a little bit on that? I'm sorry? Can you expand a little bit on that, what you mean by... Yes, I can absolutely. Because the other thing I want to talk about too, when we look at that, we're not looking at all the resources available to us. There are transferable skills in other disciplines. For instance, if you're a business analyst, that, that ability to analyze particular data sets or particular processes, you fit very nicely with a mindset already into a GRC role or into a security analyst role. We have to teach you security, but we have to teach you the new products and platforms that we're using anyway. But you have the core, fundamental, analytical, organizational skill, and we can transfer that into security. I think the other component is we're we're building a lot of resources and 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 have we well as first we have our existing resources and you hit something about digital transformation and talked about that. Well there's a piece of that that also involves transforming our teams and up-leveling their skills 
and moving to where we're going. So we don't always have the opportunity to do that because we're still trying to keep the lights on. So that's another thing for security leadership to try to figure out. How do I get them more skills and mm-hmm. and, and get them where they need to be? Here's, here's, here's the hiccup, though, uh, Lamont. We have uh, in computing and, and just generally the haves and the have-nots. You have the Silicon Valley, Netflixes, Facebooks paying super salaries for security talent and getting the pick of the cream of the crop. And then we have the rest of the have-nots, uh, under-resourced, understaffed, uh, unable not only to attract good talent, but to retain them. Because as soon as you ramp them up and you, you, you nurture them, they move on to other places. Is that something that's tractable? Is that a, a real problem affecting our industry? And, and how does the mid-market and the have-nots survive in this environment? Absolutely. I was just talking to a colleague the, the last week about this, and we're sitting and and he was saying that he's starting to look in non-traditional places for these resources, meaning that you know it's it's hard and in some cases where you have a lot of technology, uh, like on the different coasts uh, going on, where you you can keep the talent incentivized because they're also a part of that innovation group that's that's also creating the new technologies as well. So you start to look in different pockets around the globe. You look in the Midwest, which I think has been uh, an area that has been overlooked for technologists. There's lots of technologists in the Midwest. And uh, and you see lots of companies change, changing their philosophy for remote work. You know, we are where we are today. You know, remote work came in by a little bit of force uh, due to the pandemic. But now we're realizing that we can do it. We can be efficient. And let's look at some of the other resources that we may not have tapped in, in some very rich markets. And it also, you know, helps the fiscal bottom line, too. Let's, let's you know, talk for real about it. That that does keep some of the fiscal outlay for resources right. down. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, again, it comes back to as soon as you nurture them, they move along, right? As soon as you have ramped them up, they move along. This is a problem the, 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 the public sector has. Public sector jobs, you know, they, they, they see, sir, and the government is leaning heavily on a people's sense of mission to take, take those jobs because, you know, salaries are not on par with what Silicon Valley is paying. And, you know, security is hot. It's, it's, it's where uh, uh, big salaries are. So I feel like it's very, very difficult to scale that, you know, we're looking different geographies, we're looking different categories of people, and we'll kind of play with this remote thing. Do you feel like you've got a grip on it in your security program on the whole hiring, nurturing, retention? I think I do. I, I mean, I like to think I do. And I, and and first, you know, there's there's only so many Silicon Valley jobs, right? But there's jobs everywhere on the planet when you look at the un, un, unfilled positions, it's senior level all the way down to entry level. But I think you your, your comment around nurturing, I think nurturing and sense of purpose and also being more inclusive and transparent about what you're trying to do with security in a company. And those are some of the intangibles, I think, that keep people engaged, not only pay, Remember, pay feels good twice a month, usually. Uh, but it's, it's about the experience, too. It's about mm-hmm. understanding where you fit in the company. And, yeah, and sense of mission is a real thing. It's a real uh, uh, driver. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things that we can do that, that can help retention. You know, and sometimes it's all about, too, having that, that human aspect of, of how you, and when I say human, you know, you're not just an employee at a company. You are a very valued person in the company. So recognize them. Let them know what the contributions are that they do to the company. Stay really close to the people 
in that right. way. We we've lost empathy along the way, and and I think that's one of those things that this this that the pandemic has kind of forced. It's unlocked this empathy skill, and that right. also will breed some some retention. And you have to start early. You and and the reason I say start early. You're always uh, positioning a challenge at that point. Those that have base and foundational skills, whether that's uh, you know a college grad or whether that's a change of life person, they're looking to learn more, and you'll get some of that that uh, stickiness of wanting to stay in that role. But as a leader, on the and, and I'll play both sides of it. If a person does stay with me and they move every two three years, two three years after I've had them, they move on to something better and something greater. I feel good that I've made a difference in their skill set along the Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Let's linger here for a second, but flip it completely to the other side of things. The other issue around security is, depending on whose data you believe, that the average tenure of a CISO is now what from you can on the low end it's seventeen months to twenty nine months. Is that enough time to? implement, build, nurture a good cybersecurity program when CISOs are, for a variety of reasons, I'm not blaming anything, for a variety of reasons are moving much faster and the tenure is much shorter. Is it, is it, is it even possible to build and nurture a mature cybersecurity program on these very short tenures? I think it is. And the reason why, so the tenures are, are short for different reasons now. There are more and more companies, again, due to security being matrixed across all all the actions and initiatives that companies have. They're starting the, to see a need for a security leader. They they still every company still didn't have a CISO, believe it or not. I think there's still not you know less than fifty percent number that had a CISO. You start to see that number rise, and that creates opportunity. And those seasoned security leaders, they move to a better opportunity where they can grow grassroots again. You have some people that are, are I like to call them wartime and peacetime CISOs. The wartime, you know, they're always building. So they're going to build security into their culture. They're going to build a program. They have that mindset. So to answer your question, yes, the board, the, 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 the wartime and the builder, they can absolutely institute this nurturing into a program. The peacetime CISO is is really building community across all of the different constituency and stakeholder groups and really trying to operate, you know, the good components and and take out the bad components or, or the opponents that had an opportunity and weave those through. And maybe one of those focus areas could be nurturing. I think it's no matter what tenure you have, you have an opportunity to change this. You don't view that as a worrying trend, though, the 17 to 29 months, people switching jobs. Like, how is a, how do you build culture? How do you get people to, you know, follow this sense of mission when, when the boss changes every, you know, two years, 18 months? So I think the explosion of the opportunities, that will slow that down at some point. Right now, you have probably more security leaders with the title, with the responsibility than you've ever had in the history of the profession. Very true, yeah. So just I, the demand for security leadership roles is just so high that it's it, it, we're kind of going through that churn now. You you expect it to kind of stabilize a little bit as things shake out. Yeah, and and if you think about it too, with that explosion, um, many of us have traveled all of our careers, right? We we moved and lived in places, uh, you know, in some cases like we were in the military, moved the families around. And, and did all those things. Now with the explosion too, you have the opportunity to get back 
to a place that you like to call home per se. Right. Uh, and so I think that's fueling some of this as well. I don't have to get on a plane as much and I'd rather be around family or uh, I'd rather get away from family, whichever. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> All right, we're running out of time, so I'll let you out of here with this. You get to listen to a lot of pitches from startups and entrepreneurs and innovators who are, you know, building new mousetraps in cybersecurity. When you look around and you at, at the landscape, what bits of technology approaches, uh, uh, companies, things you see around that impress you? Uh, where, where are you seeing innovation that's going to leapfrog us forward? So I'd say definitely within API security, that is the new language or the the more evolving language of how we communicate from system to system, system to machine, um, um, system to human. We're all communicating via IP, I mean, via uh, API translation. Yeah, right. So we need standardization across that. We also need security. So I think that's going to be an explosive uh, field for us. And I think just securing APIs and securing this the complex network that you you described earlier, just securing all those layers and all those things talking to each other becomes crucial and the thing you're excited about. Yeah, because I think it's just more than that. That's just scratching the surface of uh, of securing the connectivity points to them, but actually what gets transmitted through an API that is the next level, and that'll be the inter- innovation component of it. Thank you very much, Lamont. Appreciate it. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to have uh, someone on the podcast who is an optimist and who seems energized. Usually these conversations delve into mostly the negative sides of security. So I appreciate you bringing some uh, a, a bright light to where we are and where things are going. Thank you very much for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. And I'll say our best days in security are yet to come. We're on the right path. Right. Perfect place to leave it. Thank you, Lamont.